Volume Two, Chapter Four of the Seaboard Parish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Seaboard Parish by George MacDonald. Volume Two, Chapter Four. The Lifeboat. The next day rose glorious indeed early as the sun rose i saw him rise saw him from the down above the house over the land to the east and north ascend triumphant into his own light which had prepared the way for him while the clouds that hung over the sea glowed out with a faint flush as anticipating the hour when the west should clasp the declining glory in a richer though less dazzling splendour and shine out the bride of the bridegroom east which behold each other from afar across the intervening world and never mingle but in the sight of the eyes the clear pure light of the morning made me long for the truth in my heart which alone could make me pure and clear as the morning tune me up to the constant pitch of the nature around me and the wind that blew from the sunrise made me hope in the god who had first breathed into my nostrils the breath of life that he would at length so fill me with his breath his wind his spirit that i should think only his thoughts and live his life finding therein my own life only glorified infinitely after breakfast and prayers i would go to the church to await the arrival of my new acquaintance the smith in order to obtain entrance i had however to go to the cottage of the sexton this was not my first visit there so that i may now venture to take my reader with me to reach the door i had to cross a hollow by a bridge built for the sake of the road over what had once been the course of a rivulet from the heights above now it was a kind of little glen or what would in scotland be called a den i think grown with grass and wild flowers and ferns some of them rare and fine the roof of the cottage came down to the road and until you came quite near you could not but wonder where the body that supported this head could be but you soon saw that the ground fell suddenly away leaving a bank against which the cottage was built crossing a garden of the smallest the principal flowers of which were the stone crop on its walls by a flag paved path you entered the building and to your surprise found yourself not in a little cottage kitchen as you expected but in a waste looking space that seemed to have forgotten the use for which it had been built there was a sort of loft along one side of it and it was heaped with indescribable lumber looking stuff with here and there a hint at possible machinery the place had been a mill for grinding corn and its wheel had been driven by the steam which had run for ages in the hollow of which i have already spoken but when the canal came to be constructed the steam had to be turned aside from its former course and indeed was now employed upon occasion to feed the canal so that the mill of necessity had fallen into disuse and decay crossing this floor you entered another door and turning sharp to the left went down a few steps of a ladder sort of stair and after knocking your hat against a beam emerged in the comfortable quaint little cottage kitchen you had expected earlier 
a cheerful though small fire burns in the grate for even here the hearth fire has vanished from the records of cottage life and is pleasant here even in the height of summer though it is counted needful only for cooking purposes the ceiling which consists only of the joists and the boards that floor the bedroom above is so low that necessity if not politeness will compel you to take off your already bruised hat some of these joists you will find are made further useful by supporting each a shelf before which hangs a little curtain of printed cotton concealing the few stores and postponed eatables of the house forming in fact both storeroom and larder of the family on the walls hang several colored prints and within a deep glazed frame the figure of a ship in full dress carved in rather high relief in sycamore as i now entered mrs coombes rose from a high-backed settle near the fire and bade me good morning with a courtesy what a lovely day it is mrs coombes it is so bright over the sea i said going to the one little window which looked out on the great atlantic that one almost expects a great merchant navy to come sailing into kilkhaven sunk to the water's edge with silks and ivory and spices and apes and peacocks like the ships of solomon that we read about just as the sun gets up to the noonstead before i record her answer i turn to my reader who in the spirit accompanies me and have a little talk with him i always make it a rule to speak freely with the less as with the more educated of my friends i never talk down to them except i be expressly explaining something to them the law of the world is as the law of the family those children grow much the faster who hear all that is going on in the house reaching ever above ourselves they arrive at an understanding at fifteen which in the usual way of things they would not reach before five-and-twenty or thirty and this in a natural way and without any necessary priggishness except such as may belong to their parents therefore i always spoke to the poor and uneducated as to my own people freely not much caring whether i should be quite understood or not for i believed in influences not to be measured by the measure of the understanding but what was the old woman's answer it was this i know sir and when i was as young as you i was not so very young my reader may well think i thought like that about the sea myself everything come from the sea for my boy willie he do bring me home the beautifulest parrot and the talkingest you ever see and the red shawl all worked over with flowers i'll show it to you some day sir when you have time he made that ship you see in the frame there sir all with his own knife out on a bit of wood that he got at the marishes as they call it sir a bit of an island somewheres in the great sea but the parrot's gone dead like the rest of them sir where am i and what am i talking about she added looking down at her knitting as if she had dropped a stitch or rather as if she had forgotten what she was making and therefore what was to come next you were telling me how you used to think of the sea when i was as young as you i remember sir well that lasted a long time lasted till my third boy fell asleep in the wide water for it do call it fallin asleep don't it sir the bible certainly does i answered 
It's the Bible I be meaning, of course, she returned. Well, after that, but I don't know what began it, only I did begin to think about the sea as something that took away things and didn't bring them no more. And somehow or other, she never looked so blue after that, and she give me the shivers. But now, sir, she always looks to me like one of the shining ones that comes to fetch the pilgrims. You've heard tell of the pilgrims' progress, I dare say, sir, among the poor people. For they do say it was written by a tinker, though there be a power of good things in it that I think the gentlefolk would like if they knowed it. I do know the book nearly as well as I know the Bible, I answered, and the shining ones are very beautiful in it. I'm glad you can think of the sea that way. It's looking in at the window all day as I go about the house, she answered, and all night too when I'm asleep, and if I hadn't learned to think of it that way, it would have driven me mad, I do believe. I was forced to think that way about it, or not think at all. And that wouldn't be easy, with the sound of it in your ears, the last thing at night and the first thing in the morning. The truth of these things is indeed the only refuge from the look of things, I replied. But now I want the key of the church, if you will trust me with it, for I have something to do there this morning, and the key of the tower as well, if you please. With her old smile, ripened only by age, she reached the ponderous keys from the nail where they hung and gave them into my hand i left her in the shadow of her dwelling and stepped forth into the sunlight the first thing i observed was the blacksmith waiting for me at the church door now that i saw him in the full light of day and now that he wore his morning face upon which the blackness of labor had not yet gathered i could see more plainly how far he was from well there was a flush on his thin cheek by which the less used exercise of walking revealed his inward weakness and the light in his eyes had something of the far country in them the light that never was on sea or shore but his speech was cheerful for he had been walking in the light of this world and that had done something to make the light within him shine a little more freely how do you find yourself today i asked quite well sir i thank you he answered a day like this does a man good but he added and his countenance fell the heart knoweth its own bitterness it may know too much i returned just because it refuses to let a stranger intermeddle therewith he made no reply i turned the key in the great lock and the iron studded oak opened and let us into the solemn gloom it did not require many minutes to make the man understand what I wanted of him We must begin at the bells and work down he said So we went up into the tower where with the help of the candle I fetched for him from the cottage He made a good many minute measurements found that carpenters work was necessary for the adjustments of the hammers and cranks and the leading of the rods undertook the management of the whole and in the course of an hour and a half went home to do what had to be done before any fixing could be commenced assuring me that he had no doubt of bringing the job to a satisfactory conclusion although the force of the blow on the bell would doubtless have to be regulated afterwards by repeated trials in a fortnight i hope you will be able to play a tune to the parish sir he added as he took his leave i resolved if possible to know more of the man and find out his trouble if haply I may be able to give him any comfort 
for i was all but certain that there was a deeper cause for his gloom than the state of his health when he was gone i stood with the key of the church in my hand and looked about me nature at least was in glorious health sunshine in her eyes light fantastic cloud images passing through her brain her breath coming and going in soft breezes perfumed with the scents of meadows and wild flowers and her green robe shining in the motions of her gladness i turned to lock the church door though in my heart i greatly disapproved of locking the doors of churches and only did so now because it was not my church and i had no business to force my opinions upon other customs but when i turned i received a kind of questioning shock there was the fallen world as men call it shining in glory and gladness because god was there here was the way into the lost paradise yea the door into an infinitely higher eden than that ever had or ever could have been iron clamped and riveted gloomy and low-browed like the entrance to a sepulchre and surrounded with the grim heads of grotesque monsters of the deep what did it mean here was contrast enough to require harmonizing or if that might not be then accounting for perhaps it was enough to say that although god made both the kingdom of nature and the kingdom of grace yet the symbol of the latter was the work of man and might not altogether correspond to god's idea of the matter i turned away thoughtful and went through the churchyard with my eye on the graves as i left the churchyard still looking to the earth the sound of voices reached my ear i looked up there down below me at the foot of the high bank on which i stood lay a gorgeous shining thing upon the bosom of the canal full of men and surrounded by men women and children delighting in its beauty i had never seen such a thing before but i knew it at once as by instinct which of course it could not have been that it was the lifeboat but in its gorgeous colors red and white and green it looked more like the galley that bore cleopatra to actium nor floating so light on the top of the water and broad in the beam withal curved upward and ornamented at stern and stem did it look at all like a creature formed to battle with the fierce elements a pleasure boat for floating between river banks it seemed drawn by swans mayhap and regarded in its course by fair eyes from green terrace walks or oriel windows of ancient houses on verdant lawns ten men sat on the thwarts and one in the stern by the yet useless rudder while men and boys drew the showy thing by a rope downward to the lock gates the men in the boat wore blue jerseys but you could see little of the colour for strange unshapely things that they wore above them like an armour cut out of a row of organ pipes they were their cork jackets for every man had to be made into a lifeboat himself I descended the bank and stood on the edge of the canal as it drew near then i saw that every oar was loosely but firmly fastened to the rowlock so that it could be dropped and caught again in a moment and that the gay sides of the unwieldy looking creature were festooned with ropes from the gunwale for the men to lay hold of when she capsized for the earlier custom of fastening the men to their seats had been quite given up because their weight under the water might prevent the boat from righting itself again 
and the men could not come to the surface now they had a better chance in their freedom though why they should not be loosely attached to the boat i do not quite see they towed the shining thing through the upper gate of the lock and slowly she sank from my sight and for some moments was no more to be seen for i had remained standing where first she passed me all at once there she was beyond the covert of the lock head abroad and free fleeting from the strokes of ten swift oars over the still waters of the bay towards the wave that roared further out where the ground swell was broken by the rise of the sandy coast there was no vessel in danger now as the talk of the spectators informed me it was only for exercise and show that they went out it seemed all child's play for a time but when they got among the broken waves then it looked quite another thing the motion of the waters laid hold upon her and soon tossed her fearfully now revealing the whole of her capacity on the near side of one of their ropes now hiding her whole bulk in one of their hollows beyond she careless as a child in the troubles of the world floated about amongst them with what appeared too much buoyancy for the promise of a safe return again and again she was driven from her course towards the low rocks on the other side of the bay and again and again returned to disport herself like a sea animal as it seemed upon the backs of the wild rolling and bursting billows can she go no further i asked of the captain of the coast guard whom i found standing by my side not without some danger he answered what then must it be in a storm i remarked then of course he returned they must take their chance but there is no good in running risks for nothing that swell is quite enough for exercise but is it enough to accustom them to face the danger that will come i asked with danger comes courage said the old sailor were you ever afraid no sir i don't think i ever was afraid yes i believe i was once for a moment no more when i fell from the main top gallant yard and felt myself falling but it was soon over for i only fell into the main top i was expecting the smash on deck when i was brought up there but he resumed i don't care much about the lifeboat my rockets are worth a good deal more as you may see sir before the winter is over for seldom does a winter pass without at least two or three wrecks close by here on this coast a full force of the atlantic breaks here sir i have seen a lifeboat not that one she's done nothing yet pitched stern over stern not capsized you know sir in the ordinary way but struck by a wave behind while she was just hanging in the balance on the knife edge of a wave and flung a somerset as i say stern over stem and four of her men lost while we spoke i saw on the pierhead the tall figure of the painter looking earnestly at the boat i thought he was regarding it chiefly from an artistic point of view but i became aware before long that that would not have been consistent with the character of charles percival he had been i learned afterwards a crack oarsman at oxford and had belonged to the university boat so that he had some almost class sympathy with the doings of the crew in a little while the boat sped swiftly back entered the lock was lifted above the level of the storm-heaved ocean and floated up the smooth canal calmly as if she had never known what trouble was 
away up to the pretty little tudor fashioned house in which she lay one could almost fancy dreaming of storms to come she went as softly as if moved only by her own sweet will in the calm consolation for her imprisonment of having tried her strength and found therein good hope of success for the time when she should rush to the rescue of men from that to which as a monster that begets monsters she is watching perseus lay ready to offer battle the poor little boat lying in her little house watching the ocean was something signified in my eyes and not less so after what came in the course of changing seasons and gathered storms all this time i had the keys in my hand and now went back to the cottage to restore them to their place upon the wall when i entered there was a young woman of a sweet interesting countenance talking to mrs coombs now as it happened i had never yet seen the daughter who lived with her and thought this was she i found your daughter at last then i said approaching them not yet sir she goes out to work and her hands be pretty full at present but this be almost my daughter sir she added this is my next daughter mary treherne from the south she's got a place near by to be near her mother that is to be that's me mary was hanging her head and blushing as the old woman spoke i understand she said and when are you going to get your new mother mary soon i hope but she gave me no reply only hung her head lower and blushed deeper mrs coombs spoke for her she's shy you see sir but if she was to speak her mind she would ask you whether you wouldn't marry her and willie when he comes home from his next voyage mary's hands were trembling now and she turned half away with all my heart i said the girl tried to turn towards me but could not i looked at her face a little more closely through all its tremor there was a look of constancy that greatly pleased me i tried to make her speak when do you expect willie home i said she made a little gasp and murmur but no articulate words came out don't be frightened mary said her mother as i found she always called her the gentleman won't be sharp with you she lifted a pair of soft brown eyes with one glance and a smile and then sank them again he'll be home in about a month we think answered the mother she's a good ship he's aboard of and makes good voyages it's time to think about the bands then i said if you please sir said the mother just come to me about it and i will attend to it when you think proper i thought i could hear a murmured thank you sir from the girl but i could not be certain that she spoke i shook hands with them and went for a stroll on the other side of the bay End of chapter 4